home for the Osmosis Jones fancast. My name's Nathan, your most uh, micro host, I guess. <laughs> wow, cat got your tongue there. I, it's rare that I get to make fun of you for not being ready for that. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm your pocket size host. And I'm Pat, your tardigrade host. Ooh, nice. Um, so with us today is Jess. Uh, and Jess is an expert uh, here to talk to us a little bit about microbiome. So she's an integrative bioscientist. She's got seven years of experience in new technology development and research. Previously, she focused on human skin microbiomes and develop novel products to stop disease transmission, as well as increasing skin health. So now she's working at the University of Florida. She's researching coral reef microbiomes, and she's working on something right now to apply probiotics to stop the spread of stony coral tissue loss disease, which is killing a lot of coral reef, I, I take it. So that sounds great. It's always been sort of a back burner concern of mine that the coral reef is disappearing. So I want to hear more about that. So she also owns a consulting firm called Biome Future that helps companies apply future forecasting and biomimicry in order to develop new technology and systems to respond to how rapidly our world is changing. So they're, they're really working a lot on learning from nature in order to drive economic value from sustainability as well as conservation. So this is a little bit of background on her. Well, thank, thank you so much for coming on and welcome. Of course. Thanks for having yeah, me. I really appreciate you coming out. So there's, and, and for the listeners, there's some noise in the background. Can you explain what that's all about? Cause this is kind of a fun side story all of itself. For me? Oh, okay. I didn't know who's noisy you were able to hear. I was, did, I did so much work to try and make sure to eliminate it oh. all. Um, uh, I all actually right. live on a farm out by Gainesville, Florida, and I live in a tiny house that I designed and built. So I'm on a farm with a bunch of other tiny houses, and it's actually really cool. It's a female-owned and managed farm. We have goats and cows and chickens and all sorts of stuff and so it's a lot of fun so you live in a tiny house and you study tiny things do you work in a tiny office do you drive a tiny car are we going to hear nursery rhymes about your life one day <laughs> this is sounding more and more like a wiggle song <laughs> i work in a really big building at the university and i drive a jeep wrangler so i guess only the house and the and the right. research topic are the tiny thing well hey as long as you keep you know trending in the right direction right so so maybe some of our listeners don't know so can you just give us an overview of what what is a microbiome like sure what is that so a microbiome is all of the microbes, so bacteria, archaea, fungus, parasites, all the microscopic things in an environment, whatever the environment is, whether it's your skin or soil or water or coral reef, and everything that interacts with them. So all the chemicals that they're giving off, all the chemicals that the host is giving off, it's the entire ecological system. So you can kind of think of a microbiome like how you think of a forest. 
It's everything that's happening in that system. And people have a lot more of this in their body mass than they realize. Isn't that correct? Yeah, that's very true. We are kind of a, not even just kind of, we are a super organism. We are the combination of both our cells and all the millions of microbes that live in and on our bodies and really help us do all the different functions that we do on a daily basis from processing our food to keeping us from catching diseases and in some later research saying that it even impacts the gut brain access and can send chemicals to our brains so your microbes can change your mood wow basically all like bender in that one episode of futurama where he's flying through space sure But by weight, it's like a huge percentage of your body is these microbes, like not even your own cells. So it's not even necessarily by weight. It's uh, more the quantity. So there's a lot of different numbers out there. I believe it's, I'm going to have to check my book, like 10 times more microbial cells than your cells. And that's a, that's a broad estimate because people don't actually know the exact amount. That's a very difficult number to figure out exactly. But that's the estimate that people come up with. You just said that there's more microbio, micro... Microbial cells. Microbial cells than Andy cells. Yes. But remember that Andy cells are are bigger. The microbial cells, yeah, they are. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not necessarily about biomass. It's about the quantity of different microbes in there. That's wild. Holy crap. Is this field relatively new? Like, did they know about this... 50, 60 years ago? So the field of microbiome as we're studying it today is relatively new because of our ability to now use genomics tools. So what we, when you study the microbiome, you basically take a sample and you put it through a machine called, usually people use one called the Illumina, and that will give you the genetic code of all the microbes in there. And that's how you study it. So when we look at this, we're looking at a bunch of code on the computer and then have to figure out what microbes it is. So that helps us be able to see microbes that we're not able to see years ago. So before, people still studied microbial ecology, is what they called it back then. But what they did is they took samples And they grew it up on Petri dishes and saw what grew. So you probably did that in a microbiology class some point in time in high school where you would swab something in the building and grow it up on that auger and see this little mat of gunk grow up. And so that's how they studied microbial ecology in the past. But with all the new technology that has come out, we are able to actually see microbes that we weren't able to grow in the lab and found that there were way more species than we ever really understood or imagined, and that they were capable of doing so much more than, than we really gave them credit for in the past as well. So I'm, <clears throat> you mentioned the, the growing stuff on Petri dishes, and Pat's really, Pat's really into uh, trans fats, or I should say anti-trans fats, and he, he loves talking about the McDonald's fries that don't grow, like, even bacteria won't. <laughs> is there? Do you, have you ever looked into that kind of stuff, like why they don't eat trans fats? So, um, you know, I have not personally researched that, but my guess 
for why McDonald's stuff does not grow bacteria is probably less likely the trans fats, more likely the amount of preservatives that are pumped into that food. And so that's that's what allows it to stay fresh. We'll use fresh with air quotes for a little bit longer. <laughs> and, and keeps things like that. Huh. So when, when you're an infant, do you get a lot of this uh, micro... Uh, microbiology do you get that from your parents like when you are a brand new infant do you already have a microbiome that's like growing in your gut so when you're born you actually get the majority of your microbiome from your mother during childbirth so it happens um it's a little bit gruesome but why not you know the baby is pushed out of the vagina and actually babies are born with their heads facing the butthole. And when they're pushed out, the mom actually poops a little bit and that gets into the baby's mouth and colonizes their gut microbiome. And the baby is covered um, with a bacteria called lactobacillus that is basically in the mucus in the mom's vagina it covers the kid, the baby's skin, and that's what protects newborns from pathogens and other types of microbes that try to land on their skin. And then over time, they will get more of a gut microbiome from the mother's breast milk, and they'll start to slowly take on their skin microbiome from their environment and from being around their parents from their mom's skin and their dad's skin and, and everything that they interact with. But, but this is like really important because if you, if you didn't have this, you'd be really vulnerable to, to like disease and sickness, right? Yeah. I mean, your microbiome protects you from everything. It's, and we've evolved with, with our microbiome. So we, throughout evolution, we have been evolving at the same time as our microbiome and our system. So if you screw up that balance, it can cause a lot of illnesses, a lot of gut diseases. So it's very important that you maintain the microbiome and that a child gets a healthy microbiome early on in life. From what I understand, children who are born via C-section have more risks. They get sick more often than uh, children born naturally because they don't go through that vaginal process of being born. <laughs> They don't pick that stuff up the same way. So a child born through a C-section, when they're taken out, they will usually end up having a microbiome that looks a lot more similar to the mom's skin, because that's what they're going through when they're coming out. There has been some early research that implies that they might not be as healthy. Um, there's really not enough research to say for certain yet. Fair enough. Um, and that's that's one thing to just kind of keep in mind about microbiome in general is that people have really just started looking into these types of things. So there are some trends, I guess you could say, with the data as far as, you know, ideas of how the, the microbiome is working with us and how different things we do could impact it. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we don't have enough data to really give anything conclusive. So, so people should I really... If they have a C-section, they should really dip their babies back into their vagina a couple of times. Well, there's some um, there's some micro uh, microbiologists that actually um, 
I can't remember which what his name was, but his his wife had a C-section and he went in there and grabbed some of her vaginal fluids and rubbed it all over the baby because he wanted That's to make fantastic. sure that the the baby had a the right microbiome. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's so. I mean, that sounds actually really brilliant in a in a kind of invasive way. In a kind of um, invasive way, yes. I, <laughs> he has a very tolerant wife. <laughs> yes, yeah. his partner was fine with it. I'm right, right. Um, so it actually kind of just came up, but my understanding is that there's a there's a microbiome on your skin, kind of an outside microbiome, and then one in your gut. And I imagine that that's a bit simplified for a layperson like me, that there's probably much more divisions to your oh, microbiome. Yeah. Can you inform us a little bit about that? I'm, I'm curious to know, like, how it all groups up. So, I mean, every part of your body has microbes. Um, so even areas like the lungs that they originally assumed were sterile, are they're now finding has microbes. So the way I like to look at it is if you imagine your body like the world, you, we are all individual worlds for our microbes. And we have all sorts of different ecosystems um, throughout our bodies. So you can imagine your your foot microbiome is kind of like a swamp. It's got a lot of fungus. It's got a lot of stuff like that. Um, and then your arm and your hand are kind of like deserts. They're drier, arid areas. Your gut is like a rainforest. So there's different microbiomes throughout your entire body. They're all doing different things, and, and you can consider them like multiple different organs that help your body in addition to to yourself. Wow. So what are some of the different ways that they do that that microbiomes affect our bodies, and and what are some ways that we can? What are like some habits that a person can do? diet, exercise, washing, to, to have a positive or negative even impact on the microbiome? Well, I, our microbes, especially in the gut, they help us process our food. So you really wouldn't be able to get the nutrients out of your food that you currently are if it weren't for your gut microbiome. And that's why they're learning that your gut microbiome is so important because it helps process all of the different chemicals that you need to survive. And same with your skin microbiome protects you. So, you know, right now we have the whole COVID-19 scare. And so how do you make sure that you don't transmit bacteria and stuff like that? Having a healthy skin microbiome is part of that because it keeps pathogens from settling in on your skin. Really, though, the ways that you maintain a healthy microbiome are the same ways that we've always really known to maintain health. Eating lots of vegetables and, you know, healthy foods and wash your hands. Don't overwash your hands. <laughs> Don't overwash your hands. How much well, is overwashing your so hands? Think about it this way. Um, <laughs> when your skin is healthy, you know it, right? You know when your skin isn't cracked. You know when your skin is, is feeling good. That's healthy skin. So you wash your hands and you sanitize, you know, after you go to the bathroom, right after you've been out in the environment right now, you know, if you're going to the grocery store, you sanitize or wash your hands. Um, you don't need to be like, you know, my brother washes his hands probably every hour on the hour. 
<laughs> but, but you don't want to damage your skin, but you want to make sure that you are constantly getting rid of any pathogens. So you don't have to freak out, but you just, just wash your hands. <laughs> okay. Uh, and is there a dietary imbalance that could make your gut health worse? Is the current American diet with a lot of processed sugar and processed foods and a lot of starches is that going to negatively affect someone's gut health? Yeah. Well, yeah. And you mentioned uh, something called a vegetable. Veg- 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 vegetable. <laughs> Vegetable. That's a really offensive Italian stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to bleep that later. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be great if you did. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So yeah, diet. So the question was um, whether or not the American diet is negative impact negatively impacting gut health. And so far, the data is saying yes. You have to think about think of it this way. So when you are feeding yourself, you are also feeding your microbes. And whatever food you put in there will be selective to the different microbes that like that food. So when you're feeding, you know, things chock full of sugars and preservatives and um, carbs and all those things to your gut, you are feeding the microbes that like that food. And those ones are growing faster than the others because they have their food source. Where when you feed a bunch of vegetables and fruits and nuts, you're feeding the microbes that like that food source. And if you consider it for on an evolutionary standard and think about the types of food that we would have had as hunter-gatherers before our modern food systems have come to play, where there's, you know, a McDonald's and a Starbucks on every corner. What types of food would your microbiome have evolved to work best with? And that's that's always, I always say, ignore all of the crazy diets out there, because there's all sorts of do keto or do this, do that. But just think logically, if I was, you know, if I didn't have McDonald's around the corner, what type of food would I have been able to find and and eat? So like you... You would suggest like a more like a natural like uh you know stuff that comes out of the ground less processed less sugar uh probably even less like bread and starches and carbohydrates. Yeah, because bread and starches would have been harder to make back then, but that doesn't mean that you don't have any of that. Like you don't have to cut it all out. But yeah, Whole Foods is is definitely the best choice. But if they're they're owned by Amazon and Nathan is boycotting that, so. Maybe um, <laughs> Trader Joe's. Maybe Trader Joe's. There you go. Well, in general, like what I've always heard is you want to stay on the outskirts of your grocery store. You don't yes. want to go into the middle. You want to stay yeah, that's the way to do outside it. where the vegetables and the normal meat is and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Maybe the <laughs> deli is not the best place to go. go. No, no, maybe not the deli. <laughs> I, I'm just sort of working through this because... I mean, I've tried, I've done a lot of different stuff and I've tried changing, you know, I, I very, very rarely try to do one of those box diets, right? Those, I know that those are bogus. I've done my, my YouTube research on them. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but 
I've always had I've had a tough time really changing a diet over if I've spent uh, like months and months eating kind of crappily. I it there's this it's really really hard. It takes like a solid month or so of sustained intentional diet and not dieting but eating properly until i can actually start to feel like full after a salad and things like that is that why because i always just thought it was like about oh you shrink the size of your stomach or whatever well and i will once again reiterate that microbiome research is new so everything that everything that we talk about is very much um where data is leading not conclusive fair enough yeah when you do change your diet and you change it consistently, we have seen a change in your gut microbiome. And there's also what is called, um, it's called the gut-brain access. So it's basically a, how to describe it in, um, just consider it like a road. Let's consider it like a road that the microbes in the gut can send chemicals up to your brain and tell your brain things tell your brain to do things tell your brain it wants things impact your brain and so your microbes can actually tell your brain i want mcdonald's wow you're if so if you have the microbes that want that food in there they can impact your cravings to make you want that food more. So my body will tell me that I want it. And then like immediately after I've eaten it, be like, what have you done? Yeah. (laughs) 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 No, that's, that's super fascinating. That's, that's one of the most interesting things I've heard in a long time is that you get cravings from your, from your bacteria. And that's, That's one of the um, the really cool and very um, very much one of the newer areas of study into human microbiome is how the microbes in our gut are impacting our brains. And the more that they're realizing those types of things, um, researchers are starting to draw connections between your gut microbiome and things like autism or dementia. And that the the microbes that you have could be impacting these types of conditions. Okay, can you please elaborate more about <laughs> that? <laughs> Whoa, hold on. So microbiomes can what make you more predisposed to dementia or something like that? Um. So your microbes impact the chemicals that go to your brain and impact how your brain works and thinks and so if there is an imbalance in your gut microbiome then it can cause an imbalance so to speak in your brain so this and i it's such a new area of research but it shows a lot of promise because if we can do things to adjust our gut microbiome we could find some of the potential cures to things like dementia and it might just be with diet so wow i mean first of all if anyone needed more motivation than just a flatter stomach to eat healthy yeah uh, there it is but that's incredible to think that just your your diet might be one of the larger contributors to set that to to um you know brain malfunction 
<laughs> he said ironically, slowly. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, that's how you always talk. I'm still trying to stomach that no pun, or pun definitely intended. Rather. So is the entire scientific field. We're all, and it's what makes this such a crazy and really awesome field to study is because the more we learn, it's like going down the, the rabbit hole. We're going into Wonderland here and finding out all sorts of different things that the microbiome does both in our bodies and in the environment around us. And it's proving to be a very important part of the way we and the world works. So really quickly here, I, I assume that you are like sufficiently compensated for such important research that you do. <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't know that was going to be a, a laugh line. <laughs> oh, it was intended to be. Yeah. She's still laughing. <laughs> um, that's why she lives in a tiny home. I, that is why I live in a tiny home. <laughs> All right. So she lives that's, on a that's... farm, not because that's where she wants to live, just because that's where they let her party. Well, I do want to live on our farm. It's a wonderful farm. It really is. I am dying to visit still. Uh, I haven't actually been able to visit since you've been down there, and it sounds super cool, especially now that your tiny home is pretty much finished right yeah it's it's getting there we put in steps actually this week i finally don't have to crawl up a ladder to get to the loft it's a wonderful thing i'm getting a little nice. too old for ladders man heard that all right so so we talked a bit about how like food impacts your microbiomes but what about medications the simple answer there is yes medications can impact your microbiome the best example is really antibiotics. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that makes me really nervous to go on an antibiotics regimen if I get sick. <laughs> and antibiotics are a wonderful invention. Antibiotics are the reason that we were able to extend our lives for as long as we are able to now. That, you know, a lot of things that were death sentences in the past are no longer death sentences. However, when you go on an antibiotic, they are broad spectrum. So they don't just kill the thing that is making you sick. They kill your a lot of your microbiome. And what can happen then is that the microbes that recolonize can throw off the balance of your microbiome. And so that's a big concern and a big reason why a lot of doctors and hospitals are starting to be a little bit more judicious about when they give an antibiotic. You know, just because you come in with the sniffles, you're not going to get an antibiotic these days. You don't want to just constantly wipe out your microbiome. Now, could you use it to more quickly transition from a McDonald's diet to a salad-based diet? So there is actually, at the Cleveland Clinic, a center that does my, basically microbiome health. And one of the things that they do is that the doctor will, first off, put you on a crazy strict diet to try and baseline your microbiome. And then they will give you antibiotics followed by specific probiotics to try and rebalance your microbiome. And so that's a, a pretty cool area of health, a new area of health. That's amazing. I was actually joking. <laughs> oh, no. I thought it was going to be, you know, like like the president suggesting injecting bleach. Nope. It's actually um, their whole, it's, you can kind of think of it as like a weed and feed type of a philosophy. You get rid of a lot of what's there and you put back 
microbes that you that you want to see. So, so let's talk about probiotics for for a minute. So things like kombucha or kimchi or like your your different kinds of fermented foods. What is going to happen when you consume foods like that, or or what would happen if you don't? Well, so those foods actually have been have been found to be pretty good for your gut microbiome. Like I said again, though, there's not conclusive in data on in the microbiome space with this area. Um, but what what they have seen is that a diet um, based on fermented foods seems to be good for your microbiome so far. So drinking kombucha is definitely not bad for you. It's either going to be good or, or no change. Just make sure that if you're growing your own kombucha, you don't get it contaminated with some other bacteria or microbe that you don't actually want. So maybe buy it from the store or be really good at growing it yourself. <laughs> I eat a bunch of that Jamie Lee Curtis poop yogurt. I think that's good. Poop yogurt? Oh, okay. So, so the, the research on that is the jury's still out on uh, whether whether probiotic food's going to have an effect? So I wouldn't say the jury's still out. I mean, you'll hear, as a scientist, I'm, I'm always going to be a little bit wary. less. Yeah, I mean, wary's a good word. <laughs> so um, as far as microbiome research, it's still new. So we have a lot of data that's that's going certain directions, and a lot of it is also just common sense that people are who are on those types of diets are are healthier than those who who have more of like a Western diet. So we can really say now that it won't hurt you to do that. You won't it hurt, won't you. hurt you it won't, this We can conclusively okay. say it won't hurt you, and it will probably help you. But so I I drink kombucha. when i'm feeling sick especially i'll go and drink kombucha um it's it's definitely it's not a bad thing to do you heard it here folks kombucha will save your life and help you live to 150 there you go well and it's it's easy enough to go to your grocery store and get the uh get the the yogurt that has live cultures in it oh yeah um that's becoming more popular now too yeah, so eating things with live cultures, it's it's going to be good for your gut. Is it going to keep you from dying or, you know, count, be like the miracle cure? No, you know, yogurt is not going to be the miracle cure for every disease that ails you, and neither will kombucha, but they'll be good, just like eating vegetables is good. They encourage the, the right bio, microbes. Would you see a big difference, like, if today Andy is going to start eating yogurt and drinking kombucha and eating kimchi, <laughs> and I'm not going to do that? Would, I, I wonder if we would start to see, like, would you see a difference between, like, a noticeable outward difference with those diets? Um, As far as the microbes that you'd see there, yours and Andy's microbes are already so different, but you might be able to see some trends between the two of you if you had enough numbers and enough people. Um, but one thing that you would see is with Andy's own microbiome, his own gut microbiome, over time, if he drastically changed his diet, his gut microbiome would start to change. And I I know that he's laughing to himself a little bit because I can't see Andy drastically changing his diet and <laughs> eating kombucha. <laughs> I can see him making it drastically worse. He was pescatarian for a while, so I don't doubt it. Yeah, I, I'm actually, <laughs> so I'm very conscious of my diet. I'm not always, 
uh, I don't always adhere to what I want, <laughs> what I know I should eat, but I'm always, I always think about it. And especially, you know, having known you and, and we've talked about, you know, you, you've taught me quite a bit about microbiomes in the past. And so I, I do think about that sort of thing, but I really had no idea how, how huge of an impact it has. Mm-hmm. Um, so now maybe that's sort of an extra incentive for me, but, but I'm we, still geeking out that my gut is talking to me with bacteria. Right. <laughs> I'm um, still blowing we're my all mind. geeking out about that, my friend. So, out about that. <laughs> does I, I I take it that something like your gut biome takes longer to kind of to to make significant changes to than say your skin biome? Not necessarily. Um, so your skin microbiome is actually a lot more stable than people realize. There are um what you would call transient bacteria versus resident bacteria so the resident bacteria like staph epi and things like that that are on your skin all the time they're they've really made it their home they're really difficult to change there's that grouping of bacteria that's really difficult to change but you know when you go and you know touch a doorknob or anything like that you'll pick up what we'd call transient bacteria. And most of those end up being like the pathogens that you don't want. And so that's why, that's why it's so good to wash your hands and sanitize because you're going to be washing away those transient bacteria that you've been picking up throughout the day. And your resident bacteria is, is still there. It's still going to be good. It's still going to be safe. So, okay, so when I wash my hands, I'm I'm really only targeting, like, the soap. My, my hands are kind of adjusted to the soap or, or the biome on my hands or something like that. Why, why doesn't it kill the good guys? Well, and when you wash your hands or when you sanitize, you're not, it's not like a, you know, a bomb going off and killing off everything. You're only taking away some of the stuff. So when a bacteria lands on your skin in an environment, you know, Originally, when you pick up a transient back, piece of transient bacteria, it's like one bacteria, a few, a few bacteria cells. But over time, once it lands, it'll form little biofilms. It'll establish itself. It'll connect itself to the environment. And it's just harder to get rid of. So it's, it's just not going to wash off as much. Those ones are, are there. Some are even deeper in your skin and they're, they're established. Mm-hmm. And imagine in your house, if you had a cockroach infestation that has been there for a year versus a singular cockroach that just came in that day. You could kill that singular cockroach with a little bit of spray, but if you have an infestation, going to take a hell of a lot more to get it out that's a a pretty terrible analogy for for microbes but ones that ones that have been there for longer are are going to be more established they're not going anywhere as easily and so i originally people were afraid that our hygiene practices today are going to be destroying our microbiome especially our skin microbiome um, but the more people are researching it, the more we're learning, it seems that it's it's a lot harder to change your microbiome than you would think. 
So that's yeah, I've heard you know, especially with a lot of the uh, YouTube scientists on uh, Why do you say during that coronavirus. I'm talking about people who watch videos on YouTube and think that they're scientists. You mean those American heroes? Is that what right. you're talking about? The Liberty Fighters. <laughs> I've seen some research that, um, you know, they found that body odor is is related to your microbiome. And not only that, but that, that having a, a healthy microbiome can increase your attractiveness based on smell. Is that something that you've come across? or I have not read that specific paper, but I can tell you that your microbes, um, especially in your armpits, are the ones that do create your smells. Um, when you sweat, it is actually odorless. And the microbes in on your body, on your skin, then eat that sweat, and the stuff that they excrete is what you're smelling. So I, a healthy microbiome probably would smell. It, it does not sound, um, it does not sound incorrect to me that a healthy microbiome would smell better to us because our bodies are designed to pick up things, little cues like that as far as health when we're looking for a mate. So when, when you go on a date, do you smell them? Yeah. Smell is very important to me when I go out on a date. Yes. If you smell bad, I'm not going to date you. (laughs) (laughs) But you're, you're saying you specifically do not want to end up with somebody with a healthy microbiome. I would want to end up with somebody with a healthy microbiome. But also who knows how to use cologne. Right. A healthy healthy microbiome and a can of Axe body spray. Yeah, there oh, you yeah. go. There you go. Just pour it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was what I was gonna ask was um so the a lot of people are concerned about the sterility of hospitals right now. They're saying like, Well, it's so sterile that you're gonna you're more likely to catch something. And it sounds like what you're saying is at least on a microbiome level more sterile doesn't really actually affect your microbiome as much as these people maybe. What I'd say is there are places that you want to be sterile and there are places that you don't necessarily need to be sterile. So a hospital is a place that you want to be as sterile as possible because the people who go into hospitals are either sick already with pathogens. So they are just, I mean, raining, you know, germs basically. Or they are immunocompromised and are more likely to pick up pathogens. So when you go to a hospital, you want that to be as sterile as possible. You want the walls and the floors and everything to be as microbe-free as possible. And, you know, when you go under, under the knife for surgery, you want everything to be as sterile as possible because once you cut into your skin, your protective layer is gone and microbes that on the skin are perfectly fine and even healthy, like Staph epi, once it gets into your blood and into your body can cause hormone infections. So a microbe, a good microbe, and I use good with quotes, basically because microbes are on kind of a spectrum. There's no microbe that is perfectly good or no microbe that is perfectly bad. 
it's all dependent on the situation and the environment within that they're in. They might be fine in one environment and be a pathogen in another. But when it comes down to it, you want your hospitals to be perfectly clean. But your home and your yard, I mean, let your kids go outside and eat dirt, man, because that helps their microbiome as they're growing up and helping their bodies recognize what is good and bad as far as the the microbiome of the microbes around them. And does uh the the microbiomes of people who live together is it true that they kind of sync up a bit? Yeah. Yeah, so you start to share your microbiome with people that you live with because over time you're picking up the microbes on their skin and they're picking up the microbes on your skin. You might be exchanging some fluids and you're sharing, <laughs> you're starting to share your microbiome. And so over time, it will actually start to look more and more similar. And your microbiome um, even looks more similar to your pets. So you would be able to tell that my dog is my dog based off of our microbiomes because we're sharing Whoa. a lot of them. Yeah. And are there a lot of benefits to sharing microbiomes? And and and, and like, is are there benefits to that exchange, or is it just sort of it's a thing that happens? You know, I honestly don't know of any um, research that has actually determined a specific benefit to the exchange. It seems it's something that just happens. We know that much at this point. We don't know about. <laughs> okay. I've been trying to form a question around this. And really, the only thing I can come up with is fecal transfers are gross. <laughs> I knew we would get some fecal transplant. <laughs> I mean, that's, I really don't have, like, I understand they're important, but, you know. So important. Gross. Um, I mean, it is kind of, yeah, to us, it's, it's gross. But, I mean, if you think about that's just, that's really just because culturally we've been taught since child, since birth to abhor our poop and our pee and to look at it as something dirty and bad. Um, but poop and pee are great things. They're nutrients that go back into the environment and pee on trees. People, there's my plug for the environment. Give your pee back to the trees. So can I really quickly on that? Cause I remember when I was in, in a boy scout, right? We were told not to pee on trees, but the reason for it was because there's, uh, something in there that attracts other animals that then come and try to eat it or lick it and it damages the tree bark? I have never heard that before in my entire life. <laughs> Sounds like your scoutmaster was just messing with you. That well, sounds like he didn't want y'all whipping it out and peeing in front of him. <laughs> right, that very well could have been it, so that's why I asked. Cool. And so, also, so quickly, children, your marshmallows are poisonous, so put them all in my tent. <laughs> Well, they are poisonous. Um, to to quickly pivot back to uh, fecal transplants, yeah. what what would you uh, what would someone need a fecal transplant for? Like, what would be a situation where uh, doctors would um, consider that? So, fecal transplants are actually used in um, C diff infections. So, C diff uh, is a microbe that it will colonize in your gut and essentially take over, and you basically poop yourself to death. It causes horrible diarrhea, and I it's very difficult to get rid of. And so what 
they would try to do is give you antibiotics, but C. diff is very difficult to kill with antibiotics. And like we talked about earlier, antibiotics don't just kill one thing, they're broad spectrum, so they kill everything. So if there's any C. diff left in your system, you'll end up with recurring infections. So that's kind of what happens to people is they will get a C. diff infection, usually because of an antibiotic for something else. And then in trying to treat that, they continually get recurring infections and the C. diff becomes harder and harder to treat because every time you treat it, the ones that survive are the stronger of the microbes and they then populate with other stronger microbes. So it becomes harder and harder to treat. So ultimately, what they figured out was that fecal transplants can repopulate the gut microbiome. So they can give you an antibiotic, knock down the C. diff, then take a healthy donor, usually somebody that you live with, since your microbiomes were, were similar with each other. Or your dog. And or your dog. Oh, probably not your dog. <laughs> you probably wouldn't necessarily want your dog's poop. But, um, I don't want anyone's but poop. But <laughs> someone that you live with. And uh, really, they, I mean, think about it. They put the poop in a blender, blend it up, and they give it back to you. A little bit of peanut butter, a little bit of cinnamon. <laughs> All right. CDF is a huge problem in, in uh, nursing homes and hospitals, from what I hear. Oh, yeah. Because it's kind of all over the place. Well, it's very difficult to kill, and it's, um, you know, once you're infected, it's easier to get infected over and over again, because that's exactly what we described. And if you think people in nursing homes and in hospitals are oftentimes on antibiotics for whatever illness brought them in, and or are already immunocompromised, so they're more likely to get pathogens in the first place. So... That has, has been a really big problem, which is why they are allowing um, fecal transplants for those types of conditions. Wow. Boy, that is... Poop milkshake right off the butt. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Delicious. Not where I thought we would go today. Who wants a Wendy's Frosty? I feel like after you answer that question, I feel exactly the same way about fecal transplants as I did before. They are both <laughs> vitally important and super disgusting. Yeah, yeah, basically. And I mean, um, they there are companies that are trying to create a poop pill, as you will, um, to try and uh, make it less disgusting. But I'm not sure if that's the way to yeah. go on. Going, yeah, going orally is the way to make a poop pill. <laughs> the idea is to figure out what um, what microbes in in the fecal transplant are actually helping it work but it's it's so complicated because it's a a system and so it's not necessarily just one microbe or two microbes well it also seems kind of like if it's more effective that way that's great but Mm -hmm. it seems sort of frivolous if it's well it's gross and we want you to think it's less gross so we're working on something for that like if we already have an effective way to do it I don't care. It's more um, the potential trying to eliminate risks. So when you are taking somebody else's fecal matter and putting it into your body, 
yes, you are likely getting all the things that are helping to stop the C. diff infection, but there's also a possibility that you could get other pathogens, other bad bacteria that could harm you as well. And so the goal is to eliminate or minimize that risk so that there is, it's cleaner. Um, and right now, it this is not really a registered drug from the FDA. It is a used, this is, fecal transplants are to be used in emergency situations. But ideally, they'd like to be able to use it at your first seat of infection and not once you've nearly pooped yourself to death. If I can change directions just a little bit off of all the poop, urinary tract infections, are these also a biome issue? Well, a urinary tract infection is an overgrowth of bacteria in your urinary tract. Um, so that would be a biome issue. You do, you know, you just got infected with a, with a bacteria. Okay, I mean, so <laughs> if, it's, if it's a bacteria, it's a biome thing. But I guess what I'm asking is, like, are there maybe some other examples of, of bacterial infections that we can treat with bacteria rather than antibacteria? And so um, that's kind of like the, the goal of microbiome, really, research as far as human health is to treat infections and disease with bacteria, with, our, with nature, rather than um, just trying to kill things. So, you know, right now we have a very war type, type of a uh, reaction to microbes. It's, it's kill it, kill it all type of a reaction. I was going to say it sounds very American. It's very American. What we're <laughs> learning is that we really need to, you know, foster a peace type relationship with our microbes and try and use our bodies to help heal our bodies and do it a little bit more naturally. But not like the fluffy hippie type naturally, but like in the actually works and based on science type naturally. Like a, a kung fu fight with biology rather than a tank fight. Yes. Very, very um, <laughs> precise and thought out. So there are things like, you know, the looking at whether or not you can add um, good bacteria to stop the spread of disease. So that's one of the things that I'm doing currently on coral right now is there's a disease that is taking out our coral reefs. Um, and no one really knows what bacteria or what is causing that disease. But what we have figured out is that there are certain bacteria that when present in the coral microbiome, keep that coral from getting the disease and dying. And so what we're doing is taking that bacteria and creating a little slurry of it and applying it to the corals so that it can fight the disease rather than implying, you know, antibiotics that would take out everything. We're able to apply this bacteria that can then fight off the disease because bacteria actually do fight each other. You can imagine it as like a little tiny microscopic war going on down there that when uh, bacteria is trying to get into the space where others are, they throw chemicals at each other and they crowd them out. And that's, that's part of why your microbiome is so important because those microbes are your first line of defense against 
all the other microbes out there that could cause you harm. So these are really are these are like our you know frontline army that's keeping everything else away. And then there's also things um, they're called phages. So phages are viruses that are specifically designed to kill certain microbes. So almost every microbe has a phage that wants to kill it. <laughs> and so utilizing phage therapy is a uh, one possibility as far as getting rid of pathogens. I'm like picturing this little tiny microbial Donnybrook, a whole bunch of little like tiny drunken bacteria breaking little tiny beer bottles and stabbing each other. Yeah. Does it seem like, because I thought I'd heard this years and years ago, is it the interaction with humans that has been affecting coral reefs so badly? Does it, do we think that's where it's coming from or do we just have no idea what's causing this? Um. So, I mean, there are a lot of, of things that are impacting the coral reefs. Um, some of the biggest are water quality, which is yeah, because yeah. humans, because you know, yeah. when also you're, because you're, of humans, yeah, all what is it? All all drains lead to the sea. Wasn't that what Finding Nemo said? Something along yeah. those lines. Um, so when we have runoff from agriculture or sewage going into the oceans that causes a an increase in nutrients in the oceans and that causes a, a disbalance and it makes it more difficult for the reefs and for the animals to survive. You'll get algal blooms, that's where you see the red tides and all of those types of things are because of an increase in nutrients. So that's one of the reasons. Another is climate change. The oceans are getting warmer and so you're changing the environment there and making it more difficult for the the corals to survive and you're so you're weakening them and um another is also the transport of ships from around the world so right now you know when you when a ship moves they take up water called ballast water and then when they go to the next port they'll let that water out so if a ship takes up, up water in an area that has a disease and then lets that water out in another area, they've brought right. that with them. And so that spreads it as well. Wow. Mm. I always heard about that in reference to invasive species and yep. like eerie. And yeah. sure, everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> Zebra clams. <laughs> but everything is about me and my immediate location. <laughs> I'm all right. I'm curious because you own a company that does microbiome consulting, and I don't know what that really means. So what I actually do is I consult using actually biomimicry, which I look at microbiome as another tool that I add to the biomimicry tool set. Um, and so biomimicry is learning from nature to drive innovation. And so I use all sorts of different natural systems to help encourage innovation. But when I look at microbes, I think they're so important because they are nature's chemists. So if you want a really cool chemistry and you want to develop things with that, looking at your microbes is a great way to look at how do you, you know, prevent other bacteria? How do you keep things clean? How do you do all these different things like that? Um, they're very helpful with that. So what I do with my consulting firm 
is I take a two-pronged approach. Um, one is future forecasting, so looking at different trends and looking at the science and where everything is going. What does the world of tomorrow look like? And then taking that information, how do you create products and systems that will work in that world? So how do you create um, products that can be manufactured with less water? Or we've talked about, I, I do a lot of work with the North Florida Green Chamber of Commerce. I just did uh, Biomimicry 101 with them, and we're trying to find a project in Jacksonville and one of the projects that we threw out there was actually transportation. So transportation is really difficult for a city. And are there any um, biological models that we can use to impact how we design transportation? So that's, that's cool. I always call myself an integrative bioscientist because I span the fields and don't just concentrate on one specific area. So microbiome is, is one of the few scientific areas that I concentrate on, but all towards the end result of innovation that um, works with nature. So creating economic value from sustainability and from conservation. So I saw this, um, they did this study where they, they set up a model of um, the Japanese subway system. They put uh, nutrients on basically like a Petri dish and they put them in the place of uh, where, where major metropolitan areas were in Japan. And the, uh, the mold that they grew on it um, made a more efficient uh, line connecting those nutrients than the current subway system, which I, I found, awesome. I found that study to be really fascinating. So, so is that like, that's kind of like an example of the kind of things that you guys are, are you're mimicking, um, in yeah, nature? Exactly. So, um, you know, nature is, has had millions of years of evolution in, for their product development. <laughs> Nature does not... Yeah, but their marketing is crap. <laughs> but they don't waste. And so they processes in nature and will find the most efficient ways to accomplish things, expending the least amount of resources, and also usually zero waste. So, you know, when a tree drops its fruit, it does, it's not a waste. None of that is wasted. It all has a purpose. It all goes back into the cycle. It's a cradle to cradle to cradle design. And so if we can start to mimic and use what we can learn from nature to impact our own designs, we can design more efficient systems and have less overall waste and less negative impacts to our environment. I, I, Another example of biomimicry that I happen to know about, I, I went to a thing, <laughs> I went to this thing at the uh, Natural History Museum once <laughs> that was all centered around biomimicry, and they had a lot of, I'm basically an expert, um, they had lots, no, they had lots of different experts, though, who are doing uh, various, you know, product creation and testing based on biomimicry, and one example that kind of stuck out in my head is uh, this group of students who were designing uh, pads for the for football helmets based on porcupine quills to 
be able to absorb impact shock and help prevent damage to the brain. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, so that's actually um, one of my friends, Emily Kennedy, who <laughs> who actually designed that and who heads up that that company. Um, so she, yeah, she got her PhD um, from the University of Akron, and she was a biomimicry fellow there. And so that that was her one of her projects, and she created a whole company out of it. That's wild. That's so cool. Small small world, I guess. In considering uh, we all used to live in Cleveland, or I. Used well, that <laughs> that helps. Yeah. What was there anything else like that we haven't really asked about, but is super important to know about microbiome? Um, you know, you guys really covered on a lot of different random things about the microbiome. <laughs> <laughs> we are good at that. Yeah, that was um, our main goal today. I think if I if I drive the the point home is that um, microbiome research is really important, but we are just at the cusp of it. This is a brand new field, and we are learning more every day. So, I my biggest thing to take away is to recognize your microbiome is important and to try and be healthy, but also don't fall into any of the traps of the early marketing before any data is there that, you know, just because something says microbiome on it doesn't necessarily mean that it, that we've figured that stuff out yet. So as, as time goes on, we're going to continue learning more and more and the field will, will continue to advance and there's a lot of great potential. Um, so it's, it's really cool to be on the cusp of a, an emerging technology field. It, it's, feels like probably how people felt when they first started inventing computers, you know, like it's all brand new and it's crazy and there's so much potential and um, so many places that it can go and, and impact our, our everyday lives. I, and I wouldn't be surprised if years from now we're all getting a microbiome test when we go for our physicals. Is there anything that could help us with um, something like a global pandemic uh, with microbiomes? <laughs> I know. Gosh, I can't believe it would take us more than a few months to develop vaccines and all those things that usually take three or four years. So I think the global pandemic, one thing to me that it kind of puts at the center stage is how interconnected our world is right now. So, you know, pandemics of the past have been a little bit more isolated you know the plague was in europe and these types of things were a little bit more isolated but it's crazy that nowadays um because of our travel all around the world for business and pleasure a bacteria can or virus rather can um travel and infect the entirety of the world from europe to china to the u.s and even into africa this has been able to travel all over the place. And I think it, to me, shows a shift that we kind of have to drive within our own microbiomes where we have, we've all evolved to be, you know, little groups of people that interact with each other, little tribes, but now the world is our tribe. And we need to think about how do our medicines need to change? How do the products that we need to use need to change to 
change with the changing world. So right now, um, when people think about a healthy microbiome, they typically try to equate it back to tribes that have not interacted with any of our modern day society things that haven't had antibiotics or haven't used any cosmetics. And people will say that that's a healthy microbiome. But I'm on a completely different camp that I say your microbiome, a healthy microbiome is the microbiome that keeps you from getting sick in your day to day life. And I think we need to recognize that our day to day lives are very different than they used to be. And they're just going to get even more different. Um, so we need to, when we're looking at finding things to promote health in our microbiome, think about it more in terms of how we create a microbiome that protects us today, because that's its job, is to protect us, and less about how do we, you know, return to microbiomes of the past. This isn't the, you know, make the microbiome great again thing. It's make the <laughs> microbiome better for tomorrow. So there's my little takeaway there. Well, we, uh, we we like to finish things up around here with a little segment called Precious Moments. You know, I actually had one more question. Um, sure. Oh, we also love to oh, have one more question. We're we, really we can, good at having just, one more question. We can just start over and cut that segment out then. Okay. Uh, yeah. So. No, no, no. My, my question was going to be... Right. So I was wondering, like, there are tons of different kinds of microbiomes in terms of your skin, your stomach health, and things like that. What would you say a, a healthy microbiome would be for a precious moment, for example? He just wanted to steal your moment, Pat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This all over here. Oh my god. I'm including all of it. Precious moments. I don't even know how to answer that question. (laughs) Yeah. How about? So I'll go. I'm excited to have a. So I have got. I've got three items on my my list for this week and one the first one i want to bring up is specifically uh because i'm excited to have a um a biologist on although i know you're not uh i don't know the word for it but a bugologist um but (laughs) entomologist entomologist thank you so there's been you know there's been a whole string of catastrophes uh so far in 2020 one of which ostensibly anyway was the arrival of murder hornets and i just want to take a couple minutes to say like first of all these hornets have been here for i think a couple years now second of all they're not called murder hornets because they murder people they're called that because they murder bees also not a good thing which is really bad in and of itself and (laughs) but they come they're they're an asian species and the bees in asia have developed this really really cool method for killing the murder hornets fighting back against the murder hornets where they first lure the hornet like so the murder hornets sent out a a, they're actually called giant asian hornets something like that but i'm just going to call them murder hornets they send out a scout and the honeybees will lure that scout into their hive and then swarm around and and surround it and start vibrating really fast which actually like cooks the scout murder hornet and therefore never makes it back to the the rest of the hive of murder hornets so that you know to tell them where the bees are so that's their defense mechanism which i think is just freaking cool wow that's really special it is special but anyway our american honeybees don't know how to do that which is why the real danger of the murder hornet so okay anyway that but i've got i think a, we just need to keep on like 
introducing more and more invasive species to deal with the other invasive species. <laughs> <laughs> that it's works. like the woman that swallowed a fly. Yes, yeah, exactly. I, that's exactly. A, I was going to say it seemed to work for her. So that was one thing. There, there was this really fun thing that happened recently. I actually don't think it was this past week. It might have been before that. But the, the Supreme Court was on like a telephone call talking and deciding cases and stuff. And, and it was all recorded. And and while one of the one of the judges talking, I don't even remember who it was now. One of the judges was talking, and in the background, there's this toilet flush, <laughs> and it was real loud and audible. Uh, and he just kind of not, kept going. They're not letting on who it came, like whose audio yeah. it came from. No so everybody who. is sort of like equally innocent and equally guilty right now. I think the best thing to assume at this point is that the Supreme Court justice was talking on the phone while taking a dumper. I think it's clearly Kavanaugh, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, this is the future that we live in, is you can you can make a Supreme Court ruling and take a deuce at the same time. Why not? For it. I learned to do that and hit mute before you flush. <laughs> He was he was talking right over it, which makes me think probably it was like his kid or something. Fact check, fact check, fact check. Aw, our first fact check of the episode. And if we're splitting hairs, this isn't really a fact check so much as something funny I wanted to include. We went from our most fact checked episode to our least in one week. Jess is just so good we didn't need any. Anyway, my apologies to Pat for stepping on his precious moments intro. But what you're about to hear is a thing of beauty. You'll hear attorney for the American Association of Political Consultants, Inc., Roman Martinez, speak, followed by what I can only assume is Archie Bunker in the background. And uh, change these laws that apply to banks. And what the FCC has said is that when the subject matter of the call ranges to the topic, then the call is transformed. And it's, it's yes. a call that would have been allowed and it's no longer allowed. All right, I'll miss you guys till next week, but I guess we should get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. But, um, all right, so those are two great headlines recently, but my favorite one <laughs> that came up recently is in Italy, some cocaine dealers had stashed, had been stashing their, their stash in the woods recently, yes. apparently. And... Apparently, some wild hogs came across their stash and devoured about $22,000 worth of cocaine, which is not, I mean, that's a lot. It's not, that, that, would, that would be like about a brick of cocaine. And let's also remind, remind ourselves that wild ho hogs are not only much smaller than humans, but also already kind of more intense than most humans. Would you say there were about 40 to 50 of the feral hogs? Uh, I don't actually remember off the top of my head how many there were. Why? Is that how many people should reasonably consume that much cocaine? By oh, sure no, no. Just, um, I, I, I was wondering if this was a news story that was specifically about 40 to 50 feral hogs. Anyway, let me take a quick look here. That is a reference that I think you are one of the few people who actually gets it, Pat. Like, until you had mentioned it to me. <laughs> Because that's how many that's how many hogs you need to have a, a machine gun. That's why you need one. Didn't you know that? Because what if there were forty to fifty wild hogs about to take out your kid and you didn't have a machine gun? It wouldn't work. Right. See, she just gets it. Yeah, I get it. I remember that. 
I remember that. I live in Florida where guns are, are a big deal. They're a big deal down here. But yeah, no, it it was uh okay, so it was four point four pounds of cocaine these people move every month. This was actually just a drop in the bucket with the hogs ate. Well, I guess well, first of all, Jess, uh I would uh, both tell you that you are welcome to and encouraged to share a precious moment if you'd like. You do not have to. Okay. Um, but I'd like to make a couple of suggestions. It can be from any time in your life, because uh, we always try and do a precious moment from between the last time we recorded and this time. And since you've never recorded with us before, basically oh. all of human history is on your <laughs> uh, The other thing is, I can let you go now if you think that'll be helpful, or we can talk before you if you think the additional time would be helpful for you to come up with something. Either one. <laughs> you know, I can give you a couple things. Uh, first, building off of Andy's hogs situation. Yes. Um, so, back to be in the clear, day... It was not my cocaine nor my hogs. Not your cocaine nor your hogs. <laughs> well, so I... Um, one of my past careers was actually uh, working at the state park down here where I trapped wild boars. And I, within that, developed an extreme hatred for pigs. Because they're just horrible animals. They completely ruin the environment. They're mean, horrible, horrible things. And so um, a couple of few months ago... On the farm, one of the guys decided that it would be a great idea to get a bunch of free pigs off Craigslist and brought them to the farm and just let them loose. So we had six pigs. Um, We were pretty sure were wild hog mixes running around on the farm. And we just recently... um, sent them to their forever resting place and had some very, very delicious, very delicious pig meat from them. Oh, yeah. Another animal, um, another precious moment that we sent to its forever resting place recently. <laughs> we had um, a duck who was actually all of our favorite duck because he was just so cool. He thought he was a chicken. All the other ducks had died. And so he decided that he was going to be a chicken. And he lived with the chickens, and he had a chicken girlfriend that he would walk around with. But then one day, this duck decided that he apparently wanted to be a jerk. And we caught him attacking and raping one of the chickens. So the duck decided, got to go to his forever resting place. And we developed a, a new phrase here at Tumble that, you know, Tumble Farm, it's a weird place. And sent pictures of the duck full of all of his feathers, feet up in the air in the fridge. It's just Tumble Farm. It's a it's a weird place. <laughs> we had a delicious duck dinner yesterday, so so he did not go to waste. First of all, fresh pig, fresh duck, amazing. Second of all, if this might be a good time to mention, if you'd like to send us any of these pictures, we can put them in the show notes for people to see. <laughs> Um, duck related or biome related? Sure, I can send you a picture of our of the duck in the in the fridge. Please. So, so we have no more pigs. We we got rid of all the pigs. We have one pig left because he is nice, and so we decided that if animals are nice, they can live. But warning to all tumble farm animals: if you're a jerk, you become dinner. He's fine until he tries to like rape a sheep. 
And then yes, exactly. we're having chorizo. Exactly. <laughs> Yum. Well, and that's not a population that can reproduce with just one of them either, so... No, it's not. And that one um, no, is no longer uh, physically capable of spreading his seed. Guys, I would just say that life uh, finds, finds a way. A way. <laughs> you are wearing the appropriate shirt for that today. Yeah, I have my uh, Jurassic Park shirt on today. <laughs> that is an amazing those, precious moment, and it makes yeah, me those, hungry. <laughs> that could arguably be the best precious moment in the history of the show. Mm. Uh, my precious moment is just two words. Con Air. That's right. The movie Con Air was on. I watched it in its entirety. It is not a good movie. I was going to say on purpose. <laughs> but uh, we're we're talking uh, Ving Rhames here. We're talking about Danny Trejo. We're talking John Cusack. We're talking Dave Chappelle. John Malkovich. Oh, really? Uh, Dave Chappelle? Dave Chappelle, uh, very early in his career. I do love uh, John Malkovich. Yeah, but they're not doing good acting. That's not <laughs> that's no. not one of the options. Uh, yeah. And of course, Mister uh, Nicholas Cage. Um, <laughs> it is so wonderful and so terrible all at the same times. It encompasses everything we love and hate about the Cage. It is wonderful. Uh, that's all I have to say. Con Air. It is something you should definitely watch and then feel guilty about it. Con Air, you know what Con Air? Con Air is your uh, your uh, gut biomes telling you to eat McDonald's because you're gonna <laughs> you want to watch it. It sounds good and then you're gonna regret it immediately after. It doesn't sound that good. <laughs> so, wait, are are you just like kind of binging some Nick Cage movies in preparation for your Tiger King show? Oh, uh, I'm try- Yes, yes is the short answer. I'm not saying. <laughs> Thank you for your cover. I not. I didn't seek it out. It sought me out. I was <laughs> I was flipping through the channels. There was Con Air. Sarah had never seen it before, and Lucky now she wishes that she had not seen it before. Uh, so. Yeah, Steve Buscemi. Did I mention Steve Buscemi? Ooh, he's also great. But, like, uh, unfortunately, it was also, like, a very effective 90s movie in that there's no, like, women actors of note in it. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's a, it's a male plane. It's a bunch of male uh, people, like, male convicts on this plane. But you'd think they could, like, get one or two women who could actually act in this movie and, you know... Prop them up, but no, they did not do that. It was yeah. a different time for sure. It, it was a very different time. So I have a sad, precious moments. Um, this happened a little over a month ago, but um, Bill Withers passed away, which is really unfortunate. He's uh, this great American artist. Um, you know, ain't no sunshine. Use me, uh, lean on me. Um, you know, just a lot of really great songs that I enjoyed very much and it's uh it's very sad to see that he has passed was it a covid 19 death or just death i believe it was just a normal death yeah um because i know also in the not too distant past jerry stiller passed away but that i know was not covid 19 related he just was i think 93 years old yeah it looks like heart complications for bill withers but yeah just a legendary artist and uh, definitely will be missed. Yeah, man, 2020 has been rough. We've lost a lot of people, and it has been a show of catastrophe after catastrophe. 
And I think we can all agree that Ain't No Sunshine is one of the best songs ever written. Everybody well, agree with that equally? Oh, yeah. definitely. Everybody? Definitely. Everybody? I yeah. prefer Use I prefer Use Me, but not um Use Me is know. also excellent. Yeah, not not I I mean listen, respect Bill Withers made great music. I don't dislike him or his music. It's certainly not the top of my list I, because I have different preferences. That's all. Yeah, that question was just for me to mess with Andy. Yeah. No, <laughs> and completely yeah. unnecessary, so thanks, Nathan. Right. Oh, I well, have to give. Most things he do, he do. <laughs> most things he do are completely unnecessary. Yeah, I didn't make fun of that. I guess I brought it up, so sort of. Well, I yep. so appreciate you coming on with us, Jess. This was yes, a blast. thank you, Jess. This is amazing. Yeah. I can and tell you when I came into this conversation, I was like, "This is going to be super boring," and it wasn't. <laughs> so, Thanks for that. Wow. We we talked about fecal transplants. I mean, what's boring about fecal transplants? I know the microbiome's exciting. I mean, you've got bacteria that talk to your brain. You've got poop milkshakes. There's all sorts of cool <laughs> stuff to talk about. Yeah, I I'm still a little bit like stuck on just how much impact your gut biome has on your brain activity and and long term brain health is just mind blowing to me, pun fully intended. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much, and also a quick thank you to Cyclone who chimed in there a little bit. Yeah, um, he's getting annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> well. He's now that's your your pup and he's he's a he's a he's an environmental pup is he not? Yeah, our yeah. climate pup. Cyclone wants to tell the world how important it is that we are sustainable and so, fight climate change. I think that sounds like maybe another great opportunity opportunity to have you and Cyclone back on down the road. <laughs> or you know, climate just change. Cyclone, whatever. Or just Cyclone. Or just Cyclone. He has a lot of important things to say. <laughs> cool. Anyway. Um, th- this has been really great. I really, really appreciate it, and I really, really need to come up with a catchphrase. Yeah, I really, really hope that uh, we give you guys something cool to, to learn about and think about. Okay, love you, bye. Poop milkshake right off the bat. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs>